Next up, number 722, April 7th, 2022. Hi there, this is Susie from In His Shoes Ministries. Thanks for tuning into the next step with Father Vodskan. We are the voice of Armadoxy, a weekly podcast started in 2008 that looks at life through the lens of Armenian Orthodoxy. If you're joining us for the first time, we're so glad you're here. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back. In these weekly episodes, you will find that Father Vosgan's messages are timely, thought-provoking, and based on the solid principles of Christ's love, faith, and hope. Now, let's get ready to take the next step. Peace generates prosperity, war only poverty. Spoken by the Pope out in Malta last week. Yeah, addressing a crowd, talking about war, talking about migration, the respect for life, human dignity, and of course calling up all kinds of images from the past as well. So it's actually a pretty powerful message that he had in Malta, to the Malta authorities. And and it's just worth reading the entire thing. But this one little statement just stuck out at me. Peace generates prosperity, war only poverty. It's a very simple and profound message, isn't it? And when you think about it, you know, uh, when you've got so much uh, injustice in the world, it always comes down to people talking about economic means and the injustice that is there. Last Monday night at our Bible study, I had an interesting question, which I had never, never thought about it in this respect. Somebody asked me about the other brother in the, uh, in the parable of the prodigal son. And this is often, we, we always talk about the other brother as reminding us mostly of ourselves. Just very quickly, if you remember, the prodigal son is the younger brother who takes the father's wealth and then spends it, squanders it, and then he comes back to find that the father has forgiven him, and not only forgiven him, but has um, sacrificed the fatted calf and placed the ring of authority on his hand and uh, clothed him in the, the family garb. In other words, reinstating him into the family. And the, the scriptural passage goes like this. It's a parable of Jesus, Luke chapter 15. It says, now his older son, in other words, this this prodigal's brother, the older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry. The brother was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I may that I may might make merry with my friends. In other words, you didn't even give. Like, come on, just even a, a little small little morsel. Let me have some fun with my friends. 
But as soon as this son of yours came who had devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. And of course, the parable of the prodigal son is about finding. It's in a in the context of chapter 15 of, of um, Luke. The evangelist is discussing all kinds of losses and finds the lost coin talks about the lost sheep and in this case about returning home about from loss the lost child who returns home and it's this this older son and many times when we have tried to explain this story we've always taken the the side of the older son like yes that's the most understandable side that we all have is that that simple jealousy and it's a warranted jealousy. It's an understandable jealousy. That, yes, we understand that. Like, the, the, the guy, the, your, your son, he's like squandered all that money. And yet, you haven't even done anything for me. I mean, have you seen these images that are coming out of Ukraine? I mean, talk about squandering. And let, let me go off on a little tangent right now. Talk about squandering. I mean, the, these... The, oh, I saw the other day this airfield being bombed. And you see these huge, huge airliners that are just now shells. They're, they're, they're skeleton now. And you realize that there goes like, what, a half a billion dollars in, in, um, in airplanes? In a second, you know, in a second. And I'm just thinking to myself, wow, I sit here and I debate. Should I get that model of computer? It, you know, is it does it justify paying another 50 to to $100 more? Yeah, it's a computer that I haven't bought for, you know, like six, seven years. We've been like uh, just holding off on getting that one. Okay, yeah, yeah, well, we'll spend a little bit extra over there. You get the model of the car that you want. You get that item at the store and you you debate whether should I spend that a few extra dollars for that? No, 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 I can hold back on this. And here we are right in plain view, just like taking out millions of dollars of equipment and talk about squandering. There you have it. Right in front of our eyes. And so the question that the older brother has is like, What's going on? These people are squandering, and where's my reward? And you know, when we when we look at this parable, we always take the side of this this uh, older brother, and we say, "Yes, we can understand that," and we we start talking about it, and then we say, "Well, your brother was lost, and he's found." Now, when we do that, what we're doing is we are talking about the material wealth. And we're looking at it completely in terms of materialism. In other words, we are saying that, hey, look, the brother squandered and now he got the fatted calf. Or let's say the material prize, right? But I haven't been even given a goat. I haven't even been given a small little prize. And I think what we what we failed to realize, and, and it just hit me Monday night, no, wait a minute. You've got you're framing the question all wrong. You do have the better deal. 
Because along the way, you've done the right thing. And doing the right thing means that you sleep better at night. It means that you're okay. It means you're relaxed. Your anxiety is gone. You live longer. You're more at peace with yourself. You can put your head on the pillow and sleep. And that, that is a much, much greater gift. So in a sense, that older brother had a better deal. But he keeps looking for the material, the material reward, which is my brother got the fatted calf and I didn't get even a goat. That guy who's just been horrible, he got the reward and I who have been faithful didn't get the reward. When we we need to change the conversation and say, yes, you've gotten the reward. You've lived peacefully. You've lived content. You've lived with peace in your heart. And that's a big gift. So when I looked at this uh, this entire situation and with the Pope talking about peace generates prosperity, war, only poverty, you've got to think that these are on, on material terms, of course. But we also realize that that po- poverty is caused because of injustice. And it's because of that injustice that these kind of wars and these kind of um, conflicts evolve and they come about. Now, you've probably heard enough about Ukraine and Russia. And certainly on the last four or five episodes since the war started, we've been talking about different dimensions of the war. Today, what I'd like to do is I want to share with you a few things, including a beautiful prayer that hit me the other night. It was at our Lenten vigil service. And I'm going to read you a prayer. I'm going to read you some beautiful, beautiful prayers today. So stick with me. That'll come up in the second portion of today's show. But for the first part, I want to talk about a little bit about how these things come about because uh, this past week two episodes happened in my personal life that I want to share with you one of which was I was up at the um, with our ACY Armenian Church Youth Organization they asked me to be the retreat master about uh, 25 30 of them were together up in the mountains uh, near the sequoias if, if it's a national um National Park here in the United States, the Sequoia National Park in mid-California. It's more southern, mid-southern California. Just, what can I say? It's overwhelming. And I'll share with you a little bit about that. And uh, the second incident, the second episode in my life was this past Monday when I had to speak at the St. Francis School, a boys' preparatory uh, college preparatory school to spoke about genocide and want to tell, share with you some experiences all connected to what we're talking about then in the second portion we'll look at that prayer but let me start off so i went up to the sequoias and i took uh, christopher with me it was a great great three days just because we were together but here's what i noticed we were with the youngest of the youngest in other words the new generation of armenian church and this is from ages 13 to about 25 i would say it was a good cross section from different areas they had come up we had 29 people all together including us so i'd say 27 uh, students in this 
And we're up in the hills, and uh, the first night, of course, being away from Los Angeles light pollution, we looked up, and and there was no moon that night, by the way. We looked up, and we saw the entire Milky Way from one side of the horizon all the way to the other. Just gorgeous, just gorgeous, beautiful. And in my opening of the the retreat, I asked the kids, I said, do you all know where the first church the first church was is in our in on our planet of course a trick question because i knew this group of armenian kids at some point must figure out that being the first christian nation we must also possess the first church but interestingly enough we didn't get a lot of answers we did what one or two hands up they said etchmiadzin and of course, that is the oldest cathedral in the world. But here I had them look up and I said, this is where the first church is, in the outdoors, out in nature. It's the first place where people pondered, where am I from? You look up at the stars, where am I from? What, what is this? Like This is wild. When you look up at the stars and you realize that one point out there in the heavens can be an entire galaxy with millions if not billions of stars in them. And another point can also possess that many. And you know that this goes on for, I mean, you can't get from one end to the other. You can't even get from one, you can't get from your home here on earth to the edge of the solar system, right? And there's millions and billions and billions and billions of these solar systems. So your mind wanders and you say, what is this all about? Where am I from? The, the, the perennial question. And of course, once we're here, what are we doing here? What's our purpose in life? And finally, where are we going? What happens after this? Now, uh, question number one and question number two can, excuse me, question number one and number three where am I from? Where am I going? There's multiple ways of answering that depending on who you are. And certainly people of faith will answer it one way. People of without faith will answer it a different way. Uh, and there's, a, there's some combinations too. People will look up and say that, okay, yeah, there must be a prime mover, as Aristotle said. There's somebody who started this whole thing. And then once started, <laughs> the big question comes up. Did he just leave it? Did he interact? And here you get into the whole field of religion. Did he? Did he? Did that prime mover come back? Did the prime mover send somebody? And so we get the ideas of the prophets and how the law was changed. We get the idea of the Son of God coming here. And so religion. And this is what Einstein talked about: is that that awe, that wonder that we look up into the heavens. It's the beginning, the basis of true religiosity. And that's really where science and religion really come together. I don't think one is exclusive of the other. And certainly if you've listened to me long enough, you know that. I mean, there's ways of looking at life beyond the black and white, and you can find how they come together. And I'm always taken by the the example. I think it was, um, who was it? Rousseau, I think. Uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who, who mentions that, you know, it's like walking on a beach, and you find a watch. And you see the intricacies of the watch, right? You see that it winds, it has gears and face and everything. You've never seen a watch before, but you see this little thing. And it's moving around. Well, would, would you assume that there is a 
watchmaker. Well, yeah, it just it's you look at it and you say, well, somebody had to put this together, and you can look up at the heavens and you say, somebody's put this together. So how you come about those those questions, where we came from, where are we going, equally as subjective as the first one. Yes, I as a Christian have an understanding, but so does the Hindu. So does somebody who believes in uh, reincarnation. They, their explanation is legitimate. And we can sit and we can talk about the virtues of one and some of the difficulties in the concepts of the other. But it's all it is, is just this argument. But the only one that you really have control over is that middle question about what am I doing here? What's my purpose? What is this all about? And by doing a retreat, I, I, I hope that I could bring about this kind of questioning for these young people. This is what my intention is, not to go there and preach, but to preach in the terms of expand your mind educate yourself, open yourselves to the possibilities that are out there. And so we talked, we had a great, great uh, few sessions. And in the midst of all this, what I did notice is that something that that I hadn't seen in years, namely that, well, the only obstacles we have in our lives, the only restrictions and limitations we have on our lives that are real are the ones we impose upon ourselves. And I probably haven't seen this in years because I haven't done a youth retreat in years. And it's just a reminder that where do we get this notion that we have these limitations? We get it from what the way we've been brought up. With the education that we've received, whether it's from parents or in Sunday school, from a priest or wherever. Now, yes, I'm talking about spiritual matters. I'm talking about religious matters. I'm just shocked that a young group of people would subscribe to so many reservations and restrictions that really aren't necessarily, aren't, aren't even in fact part of the Armenian church tradition. But they are, well, uh, tradition with the capital T, I should say. But they're definitely part of the Armenian church. And I I don't want to use the word tradition, but part of the Armenian church folklore, you know, of of things that we have to do. You know, for instance, during Lent, uh, is it okay to take communion? Well, no, you can't take communion. Then why can we do an open badalak? Why is it that if your church's name is St. Gregory, you can open your curtain during Lent on that Sunday, on that Saturday, the feast of Yel Nivirab, St. Gregory coming out of the pen? I mean, we have exceptions to every rule, and that's probably the nature of rules, right? There are exceptions. But I was just very taken that, you know, young people really are really want to be traditionalists and I'm, I'm really wondering what the what the idea is behind that i could speculate about some but i was just kind of taken aback by that now during our time there i also had a time a chance as i said a few minutes ago to wander off to the sequoias it's maybe about 20 minutes from the campsite we were at elevation about 5500 feet and there with Christopher we visited the huge sequoias ironically I was wearing a t-shirt that day that celebrated the 1700th anniversary of Christianity in Armenia and in big letters on the back of my t-shirt it said 1700 anniversary and we come across this one tree and I, I confess to you 
that I just, I got very emotional. The tree was standing there for, it, it had been <laughs> there for 1,700 years. Like I said, ironic that I was wearing that t-shirt, or maybe I was supposed to. But I looked at that tree and I realized what a beautiful expression of God's wonder this is. When Christianity was first accepted in Armenia, this this tree was there. It was but seedling. It was just sprouting. And here we are, 1,700 years later, looking at this tree. And as I'm looking, I'm also thinking about the condition of our world. That at any moment, we can have people pressing buttons that could put this planet on extinction. I mean, all this beauty could be gone in a flash, right? Should this war escalate into nuclear weaponry, to be defined by nuclear weaponry? And um, I'm looking at all, all this, and just, I got very emotional, as I do right now, just to know that all of life as we know it can be extinct because man's desire to do away with life Man putting a limitation on himself and saying, I'm not worthy of all this beauty, and so let's destroy it. Is that an interpretation? Possibly. But the sadness is there because we're not talking about peace. Now, when we come back, I'm going to take a break right now, okay? Let's let's leave it right there because I did want to talk about some other issues that did come up. I want to share with you two things when I come back. I'm going to share with you what happened at St. Francis, and then a news report, and then we're going to run into a prayer. I'm going to end it with a very beautiful prayer, and I know you'll want to hang out for that one. Right now, as we do every week, we take a, a chance to digest what's been said, what's been talked about. This is the song of the day. Enjoy. Zumae, 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 Zumae,
Public Radio off of their Retrograde album. <laughs> I love this song. It's kind of fun. We were playing some different tunes while we were going through um, the Sequoias the other day, and this one just like hit me. This was a fun one. I said, I got to play it on the show and kind of needed a break, kind of like break it down from some of the heavy issues too. Just a fun song. I tried to figure out what they were trying to say because Zinchu Zinch, you know, we have some fun fun-sounding words, too, in Armenian. Especially in Western Armenian, they've got these zuz coming out, like zinc. <laughs> like zinc, right? Zinc. It's supposed to be ink, but you put a z in front of it, and it projects that ink. So zinc. Um, <laughs> I always like that word. Like, uh, where do they get this the, this z combination in there? And zinch. Uzinch. Uh, what oh what? You know, so uh, anyway, I, I tried to look up the words to find it, um, what they're saying in this. And I- I- interestingly enough, I found it on uh, Zulal, which I know that Zulal had done this uh, a version of this song. But uh, fortunately, what they've done is they've given us the words and they've also given us the translation. So it's about a swimmer. What a what should I give to the swimmer? Zinchu zinch dam lovortin. I I'll give him my hair bandana. I don't like it. I won't take it, and I won't fetch your barrette. There you have it. I told you it's just some fun words today. <laughs> anyway, I hope you enjoyed the song. Kind of changes up the the, the mix. I'll have a link on today's show notes to Armenian Public Radio. And as I always tell you, support our artists. talking about peace, about finding peace, what's going on in the world. We're talking also about limitations that we put upon ourselves. And I want to share with you today a prayer for peace, finding it in an unusual place, namely in our Armenian church. Before doing that, I want to share with you this is a second episode that took place over the week, and that was at the St. Francis Preparatory School, a college prep school. And this is a Catholic uh, institution, and when I got there, they had asked me to come and speak about the Armenian Genocide. You know, that's kind of one of the standards 
<laughs> that we get called for, right? Like all of a sudden we're going to talk about it. Um, and those of you who, you know, you've been listening to the next up know where I come from. And I brought that message over to this group. This was done by the Armenian Student Associations. I would say we had maybe about 100, maybe more than 100 people. No, it must have been more. There was more than that. I'd say by maybe about 150 people, of which I'd say 25 were Armenian students, if that many. So it was an opportunity for people to hear for the first time about genocide and first time to hear about the Armenian genocide specifically. And I got there and uh, they invited me to speak. And I, I started to talk about some of the big challenges that we have by explaining genocide, that it is not war. Very important for people to understand that genocide is not war. And especially in these days, as people are calling what's going on in the Ukraine as genocide, you've got to remember genocide means a systematic program of annihilation of a group of people. Now, this may or may not be the case in Ukraine. I don't think that they have the proof for it right now. And as as I was called out by somebody at our Bible study, well, what does it matter? They're killing. Absolutely. I mean, this is not about that, but it does matter. Yes, it is killing. War is horrible. It's atrocious. It's awful. But genocide is stepping it up to the point that if it is genocide, there are issues politically that people have to get involved in, right? And what was the entire sense of Armenians trying to get political recognition of a genocide? At the end of it, it steps it up into a different category. And these things are things that we have to deal with, unfortunately, tragically. I'm going to play for you a small little clip from NPR. I just want you to listen to this. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Amy Held. In Bucha, Ukraine, investigators are walking the streets of a ruined town. They're looking to document the widespread killing of civilians and other alleged war crimes. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says Russia is waging a deliberate campaign of murder and torture in Ukraine. On his way to meet with allies in Brussels to go over next moves, he spoke with reporters. This uh, reinforces our determination and the determination of countries around the world to make sure that one way or another, one day or another, there is accountability for those who committed these acts, for those who ordered them. The U.S. is preparing to announce new coordinated Russian sanctions today. Okay, the two areas that I wanted you to focus in on, one of them, did you notice that they talked about war crimes? In other words, war itself is not the crime, but there are certain issues that take place. In other words, the bombing of civilians, of hospitals, of executing, executing people as they're finding many people were tied up and they were taking shots in the head and that execution. These are called war crimes. And it was just, as I'm listening to this this um, report, it's occurring to me that, you know, it, these are just words. The entire issue of, of war should be a crime, right? But it's not. There are war crimes, and then it talks about they're going into this small little town and they're seeing this and that and everything. And that escalates and elevates the issue to a different category. And these are just words. As somebody said, well, what does it matter? Yes, it does matter on the political scale, on the emotional, on the psychological, on the spiritual level. 
These are horrendous events that begin with the declaration of war. They began when Putin said, we are going to go into Ukraine. Instead of trying to negotiate what they wanted, we're going to go in there and we're going to start killing. The minute you get into killing, I don't care whether it's civilians or it's military personnel, these are innocent lives that are being killed. And it just kind of got to me that these words are being thrown around like, is it genocide? Is it not genocide? Is it a war crime? Is it not a war crime? Are they innocent or are they not innocent? And they're asking us to be the judge and the jury on these questions when in fact it's all horrendous. It's all horrendous. We need to, and this is where I'm, and we, we need to change that, that, that dialogue, which I've been talking about for years now. And so it was that when I was at St. Francis this weekend, I spoke with the kids and I said, you know, this is really one of the big challenges. Can we talk about something as horrendous as genocide without invoking even more hatred towards a group of people? And I shared with them that, yes, you know, the, the Jewish people have done something really brilliant in ex talking about the Holocaust. They've separated Germans from Nazis so that, you know, yes, we all hate Nazis. It's a horrible ideology that led to this Holocaust and the extermination of 12 million people off the face of the planet. It's horrible. We all agree Nazism is horrible. But you don't extend that to the German people. You don't need to have a hatred for the German people to buy into the Holocaust. In the case of the Armenian Genocide, a lot of times people go out there and they will talk about the Turkish people without separating it from the factors that led up to it, namely the Ottoman Empire and the collapse of the empire, and that it was the government. And so... We sit there and we, we foster hatred towards another group of people and you can't get people to buy into that. People are not going to buy into that. I mean, you've got a Dr. Oz who's so famous right now in the United States. He's a Turk. You can't say, you got to hate this man because, you know, he's a Turk. You can, you can hate him for other reasons, but not because of his ethnicity. And it doesn't work that way. So I, I'm talking with these kids and I'm trying to get them to understand. And, and I think it was just fascinating for me because this was a group of smart kids, brilliant kids. They were looking, they were absorbing, they were taking it in. And they came up to me and they started asking the questions that any good educator would love to hear. Challenges and taking in new information, new facts. I mean, I was feeling so good at this. And then all of a sudden, in walks in a lady from one of the Armenian political parties. And she comes up and she says, I'm here to talk about the genocide. So, again, to this group, we had to introduce another, yet another speaker. And if you can uh, imagine the body language, this young girl, I'd, I'd say late 20s, um, she comes with a laptop she opens the laptop and holds it with her left hand with the screen facing her. And she begins to read from a, a prepared script and talking about what happened on April 24th, who the Turks were, what happened in Artsakh, and so on and so on and so on. 
just a bunch of facts that you have to wonder. You've got 150 people, captive audience. Why in the world do you think that they're going to care about these facts? Instead, let's try to build on what we have. This, the brilliance of a, of a people that have survived genocide. So I had to witness that, and it, it really brought me down. As I left the school that day, in my thoughts, I was thinking, you know, for all I talk about, blessed are the peacemakers and how peace is more important than, than, uh, than war, how love can overcome hatred, still, 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 hatred is an incredible tool. And I saw it right in front of me as this woman just used hatred, used the hate card to really build up a story that unfortunately, I don't know who it really affected, except the people that were in there. Because her last call was on April 24th, please join us for a march through the city of Los Angeles. And um, yeah, it's going to be big. There'll be... You know, ten if not twenty thousand people, not more. That, but of, of course, you know, in in Los Angeles population of quarter of a million, that's, that's maybe ten percent. That's not bad, right? If it's half a million, you got five percent. That's not bad. You got these people walking through, and what the purpose is is maybe perhaps to keep Armenians still believing in in being Armenian, in an identity. Okay, and it's fueled by hatred. And that is a sad reality. During the Lenten season, our Armenian church has what we call Haskum service. It literally means vigil. And the entire Armenian church, in the body of prayers of the Armenian church, we have seven hours of worship, two of which are called the rest hour and the, the peace hour. And uh, we combine these two and we make them into what's called the Huskum service that we feature during the Lenten season. These are reflective times. They're mellow times. Some beautiful chants, some intense prayers. And uh, here in our diocese, it's tradition on Wednesday evenings. Of course, that varies. People, some churches do them every evening. Some churches do them once a week, whatever the case may be. During the Lenten season, when we are when our prayer life is heightened, we have an opportunity to share in what's called the Huskum service. And so it was and has been during this Lenten season that I, I get a chance to go on Wednesday evenings and pray. It's a beautiful service. I personally really enjoy this service. And and the other night there was a, a uh, deacon who had come, fallen off of some planet, because he had a, this just very beautiful voice, in tune voice too, which is kind of rare sometimes in certain settings, but incredibly loud. And we had a deacon like that when we were a kid. We'd call him the Boroza, like the horn, the foghorn. And um, this one was pretty loud. So anyway, I wasn't going to try to compete, nor did I want to. Um, <laughs> nor do I think we should be competing. But it was obvious that I didn't need to sing that evening because the deacon was taking taken charge. But it gave me an idea, uh, an opportunity, really. Yeah, the idea was to, hey, let me look over at the English translations. Because I seldom get to do that. 
You know, uh, churches prepare these little books that have the Armenian, the classical Armenian, the colloquial Armenian, has the transliteration, then has a translation. I always kind of want to know what are people reading? What are they following along? What are what are some of the ideas that are coming across? Because obviously translations go from uh, good to worse, and hopefully you've got a good one. And it was interesting because as, as this man, Borozal, was... Um, chanting this, I had a chance to look at the words, and immediately my head went to, wow, where did they get this translation from? And my guess, it is a derivative of Archbishop Dilan Nersoyan's writing, only because it is written in some of the classical Armenian, and I would say this is probably 1950s, derivative in the sense that somebody might have gone through this and done some... um, editing of it and changing and making it more colloquial. But um, unfortunately, like so many things, uh, <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you, but but like so many things we find here and there in the church, the plagiarism is well and alive and they've put, cut and paste this from someplace. So I'm going to share with you this little hymn. It was called Shnodia Mez, Grant to Us, Lord. And I'll tell you why it meant something different to me that night, as this man was singing. Grant us, Shunorial, O Lord, this night your heavenly peace and protect us from the deceits of the enemy by all victorious power of your holy cross. I started reading this and and I, I got goosebumps. I mean, we're inside the church. I'm now separated from the reality of this man yelling out a chant. And instead, I'm being, I'm coming to terms with these words. And I'm thinking to myself, my God, these people, they were being hounded, killed. There were enemies outside of the church beating on them, firing on them, killing them. And in that In those circumstances, these people came on their knees and started praying. Grant us, O Lord, this night your heavenly peace and protect us from the deceits of the enemy and all victorious power of your holy cross. Now, it's one thing to just write this, but to do this in the midst of what we've gone through, of the persecution, and to be proclaiming this. This is where faith begins. So I'd like to share with you this one prayer. It's called Shnoriyamis. And it continues like this. O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before you. Incline your ear unto my cry. Let a guardian angel come to us from you, O Lord, and keep us safe at all times. Send us, O Lord, the power of your holy cross to keep us safe at all times. Make us worthy, O Lord, to spend this evening in peace and pass without temptation. Make us worthy, O Lord, to pass this night in peace, keeping us without sin. The Lord God is with us. Know this, O you peoples, and you will be subdued, for God is with us. And hear this, 
from the one part of the world to the utmost part thereof that God is with us. And all of you that have become powerful shall be subdued, for God is with us. For though you may again be strong, yet will you again be vanquished, for God is with us. And the counsel which you take the Lord will bring you not, for God is with us. And the word which you speak shall not stand, for God is with us. And neither do we fear your alarm, nor are we in dread thereof, for God is with us. And our Lord God we shall shall glorify, and he will be our fear, for God is with us. And we shall trust in him, and he will become our satisfaction, for God is with us. And we shall put our trust in him, and he will be our salvation. And behold, I and my children, whom God gave me, shall trust in him. The people who dwelt in darkness shall the, saw the great light. And all of you who dwell in darkness and in the shadow of death, on you shall the light shine, for God is with us. Because unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and whose authority is on his shoulder, whose name is called the angel of the great mystery, wonderful counselor, mighty prince, prince of peace, father of the angels to come, the Lord is with us. And glory be to the Father, to the Son, and the Holy Spirit now and always, forever and ever. Amen. It's very powerful. It's a powerful chant because it's done in the middle of war. Because it's done in the middle of hopelessness. It's clinging on to the last vestiges of hope even when it looks like hope isn't there. It's the power of God. It's the power of our faith that has been explored and demonstrated and given to us vis-a-vis the church. And now you think about it. When I tell you why are we alive, it is because of this faith. It is more powerful, isn't it? It is more powerful than their nukes because it survived. And going back to the story I told you in the first half about the other brother, it is more powerful because it's not measured. It's not measured on the material standards of this world, but measured on the spiritual plane of the goodness of God and the goodness of this universe. Let's take a break right now. Here's Susie to make her announcement. I'll be back in a couple moments to give some parting shots. Before getting back to the next step with Father Vazgen, I'd like to take this opportunity to remind you that this ministry is supported through the heartfelt donations of listeners like you. Thanks for keeping us in your prayers and partnering with this expanding and dynamic outreach. The next step is entering homes and communities with a solid message proclaiming God's message of love, forgiveness, and compassion. We look forward to your comments and words of encouragement. 
Please consider partnering in this dynamic ministry by making a contribution. By pressing on the donate button on our website, you can set up automatic donations, either weekly, monthly, or annually. Your donation goes a long way in furthering this ministry. Even more, tell your friends and family by sharing the Next Step link or website with them. We're on iTunes and Blueberry as well as Facebook and Twitter. We are excited about this ministry and invite you to share in our enthusiasm. This is Susie wishing you all of God's blessings in your life. We now return to the next step with Father Vosgen. Thank you, Susie, and thank you, all of you, for your prayers, for your support, for the kind words that you send my way. And um, looking forward to a beautiful Holy Week coming up in front of us. If you have lasted until today, right now, if you're listening to this, it's probably Friday. This comes out late on the California coast Thursday. So you are living actually the last day of Lent. So congratulations if you made it through Lent. Of course, Saturday begins Holy Week with Lazarus Saturday. And then following that comes into uh, Palm Sunday, big glorious event with open curtains in the Armenian church. And then begins the um, closure of the curtain, the wiping of the curtain on Monday, Tuesday, Ten Maidens, Thursday, the uh, the institution of the Last Supper, feet washing, and the, the expression of humility by Christ and the demand for us to do likewise, the order of darkness Thursday evening and then Friday with the crucifixion service and the burial, all culminating with the glorious, glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. I hope it has been a good Lenten journey for all of you. When we began, we were just dealing with the prospects of war. We were just living through it. At that time, I told you that, you know, there were some Lenten journeys. I I know I've heard from several of you that you've been taking the different Lenten journeys. I hope it has been a, a good one for all of you. We do have four of them up there, and part of our new project that's going to be unveiling, hopefully in the next month, it's going to be the Apostle, the new Apostle, uh, .net. And uh, there's a lot of exciting things that I've I've been teasing you, I've been teasing you, telling you it's coming up. So hopefully, maybe we can make it an Easter announcement, and I'll make that announcement next week. Let's see how things go. But for now... Just want to let you know, I appreciate all of you being here and looking forward to the Easter uh, Easter week. Please know, I want you to know this, that as I celebrate Easter and the entire services of the week, you go along with me in my prayers. I thank God every day for the opportunity that we have to share this ministry and to, to be a part of this ministry, to have you as a partner there. So thank you. Know that I appreciate you much and that you're always in my prayers. People have been asking where you're going to be on Easter. We're going to be celebrating at Rancho Mirage, the Sut Garabed, Holy Garabed, which is St. John the Forerunner Church in Rancho Mirage, California. It's a beautiful, it's a, it's a small church, so it'll pack up early if you're inclined to come out there. It is a beautiful drive. Uh, from Los Angeles, about a two-hour drive. Get there early, and we promise that we will rock. Yeah, there is the Coachella Festival, but our rock and roll is going to be much more 
exciting than, than anything they could conjure up. So um, if you're out that way, please do stop by. I want to thank you for joining us today. Hope you enjoyed today's show as much as we enjoyed producing it for you. On behalf of our wonderful producer, Susie, and myself, this is Father Ross Hammond. Thanking you for joining us and look forward to taking the next step with you again next week. And now here's the fine print. The information and comments presented within this podcast and our website do not necessarily represent the views of the Armenian Church hierarchy, but are presented as a challenge to define the dynamics of Armenian Orthodoxy in all aspects of life. Listening to these shows is habit-forming. Addictive behavior associated with the next step is rarely, if ever, remedied. Rather, the next step is known to relieve and cure common cases of narrow-mindedness, prejudice, numbskullness, and glaucoma in patients over the age of 20. Results may vary depending on credit rating. Findings are based on double-blind studies conducted in Istanbul and Jerusalem. Side effects include mind expansion, clarity of focus, higher rates of heart palpitations, sensitivity to the pain of others, and occasional nausea. Demandment and production crew vpostle.net take full responsibility for changes you will experience. Not valid with any other offer. I forgot to ask you if uh, you're seeing the same sky as we are. Uh, Bye.